0: So I'm Writing a Novel is the show where you join me, Oliver Brackenbury, on the journey of writing my next novel, from first ideas all the way to publication and promotion. In this one-man reality show, I'll share with you my ever-evolving thoughts and feelings on how I write, being a writer, and everything that entails at each stage of the process. I'll also interview special guests, and when people send them in, I'll answer listener questions. If you're the kind of person who likes to learn how things are made and get to know the people making them, then this is the show for you. I'd like to say a quick thank you to our Patreon supporters who make this show possible. Patrons receive perks like the rarely wielded but very powerful ability to vote in patron exclusive polls which shape the future of what I do in the Patreon, but also in the podcast. And if you're not a patron already, you can check out all the other perks and exclusive content over at patreon.com slash so I'm writing a novel. You may have noticed that the intro music for this episode was a little different. Well, that's because it was played by the band Glasshammer. They're a prog rock group formed in 1992, featuring multi-instrumentalist Steve Babb, my guest for today. Steve is a big fan of sword and sorcery and has written his own sword and sorcery novel called Scalagrim in the Vales of Pagarna, which he was kind enough to send me a copy of to read. I rather enjoyed it and the clear intersection between it and the whole way one might write a concept album. There's quite a bit of actual songs within the text of the book with something I'll get into with Steve in just a minute. Meanwhile, music is a very important part of the fan community of Sword and Sorcery, and it tends to be in genres that I have not dabbled in too much. like heavy metal like prog rock though I confess I do enjoy some stuff uh, in the latter category I just kind of forget sometimes that I enjoy it until it comes on the radio and I'm like oh yeah I should get more of this anyway point being this is an aspect of the whole thing that I'm a little ignorant of and so I thought what a great opportunity after meeting Steve through the whetstone tavern discord where I get so many guests (laughs) but yes after meeting Steve through there and uh, you know looking at his book and all that stuff I thought what a great opportunity for me to learn more about that side of things through someone who's directly a part of it. All right, without further ado, let's go on to talk to Steve Babb of the band Glasshammer. Here we are with Steve Babb. Hi, Steve.
1: Hey, how are you doing today?
0: Great, man, great. Uh, So, Steve, I know you've got to get back to the exciting uh, life of a musician. Uh, It's a drum recording this weekend. Yeah. Uh, So uh, let's get into it. Uh, Starting at the shallow end of the pool, could you please tell us what your relationship is to and Sorcery? Like, why did you choose to write that instead of, I don't know, hard-boiled detectives or something else?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I have a love for the genre that goes back to my teenage years which would be you know mid 70s to 1980 somewhere in there i'm 61. so uh you know I, I loved it of course like most people that came to fantasy it started with tolkien and uh and then branched out from there and it really wasn't you know in those formative years it, it, i didn't think of them in terms of, of subgenres. it was strictly it was all fantasy to me and it was all new uh, but I remember watching the movie, uh, the animation, the Ralph Bakshi movie, Wizards.
2: Uh, yeah, I,
1: I knew he was going to do something with Lord of the Rings, so I made uh, uh, I made my mom take me to, <laughs> to the theater to see <laughs> that crazy movie. Uh, and I don't know, I just love that uh, Excalibur was another big film of the time that uh, uh, and Conan, of course. Uh, but back to your, I guess, to the main question. I wanted to do a an album trilogy uh, that would be based on. Well, first it started as just a one album thing uh, for Glass Hammer, mm-hmm. and uh, it would it would. I wanted it to be about a loner, sort of like a high plains drifter kind of character, and maybe set to a western theme. Mm-hmm. And uh, my songwriting partner and my wife, who I refer to for advice, often were like. No, no Western prog rock albums. please. <laughs> well, what else? And so I'm with progressive rockets. It's a very cliche thing to do stuff about wizards and elves. And, and I mean, people don't do that so much in prog rock, but that's what it's sort of known for. And I thought, well, let's just embrace those cliches and let's make it a sort of sorcery character, more like Conan or Elric. Uh, and, started developing the story and the more I got into the character and the writing, um, for the album, the more I began to think, Hey, this is, this is working for me. I like the character. I like the setup to the story. I think I'm going to write this, uh, it's more than just an album. So it all kind of happened about the same time, I guess, 2019 somewhere. Well, right. When the, when the lockdown started and everybody did all kinds of crazy stuff, yeah, we all got a lot more time yeah. to be creative, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well I'm like, I'll show them. Uh I'll just write a book. So six, <laughs> six weeks of lockdown, but uh I don't know, seven months of writing, and I finally finished a book. Anyway, I hope that's 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 a long answer, I guess. But.
0: No, that's okay, It's all good stuff. Um and, and honestly, um we can sort of go back even earlier to before you started working on uh that you know Scalligram here. Um, i'm wondering what are the origins of you as like a younger person uh with your writing and your music careers you know and how have they like intersected maybe even one's more dominant over the other one for a while and the other one kind of takes over you know how how generally speaking how have how have these evolved for you and where did they begin
1: uh I started playing i was a piano player from age nine and they were stuck me in a in our church I became the pianist at age twelve and uh didn't particularly enjoy that pressure, but, um, you know, and it was kind of in the cards early on that I was going to be a musician. And of course, by the time I'm in my late teens, uh, rock is big and heavy metal is a big part of my life and wanting to be in a band is a big thing. So uh, the Tolkien influences and the music for me all happened at that crucial moment, uh, between 15 and 17 when all of those things are getting wired in your brain and mm-hmm. in my case, they got wired in together. Uh, and I saw music from the very beginning as a way to tell stories. And, uh, so it's never been far from, I mean that that's kind of what I've always done with original music is kind of tell sagas, concept albums, uh, things like that. My first real, I'd say semi-popular band in our area was a, Band uh, I named Wizards after the the film, and we we wore capes. <laughs> we wore capes.
2: <laughs> it was <laughs> nineteen
1: eighty, and uh, and yeah. the songs were all these dramatic things like you know like Iron Maiden kind of stuff, Rush, and Sabbath, and so real dark and um, you know so it was perfect vehicle for me to kind of lyrically tell stories, and I'd say that's that's never changed for me. I, I try to write a simple song, it ends up getting turned into some epic nonsense, I guess.
0: Very cool. Was Scalagram your first prose project then, or did you try writing novels and short stories before?
1: I wrote, uh, well, so we had a big concept album, and it's always tied to my music. Uh, but if we had a big concept album I um, sort of uh, brainstormed in 2005. Uh the album was called The Inconsolable Secret, which is a, from a quote by C.S. Lewis. And it was about um, the, lady, the Lady of Shalott. Uh, there's famous paintings of her. Uh, it's a kind of an, a, an obscure Arthurian tale about a, a girl who's trapped in a tower, princess. You know. uh, and I wanted to kind of expand on that and, and add to that story. And it just kind of took off as my own character, which I named uh, Lirazel. And I thought, hey, to go with this album, I'm going to write an epic poem, like uh, The Lays of Valerian, uh like Tolkien. And so I wrote this massive, I think it's 20,000 words. It all rhymes, <laughs> it's just insane. <laughs> and uh, called The Lay of Zell. And then uh, I wanted to turn that into a book, an actual novel. And I started it. Um, in, I guess, the late 2000s, I don't know, 2008 or nine, and left it at about 30,000, 40,000 words. Uh, music and life just took over, and I couldn't do it. Uh, but then when the Skallagrim character came along just mm. a couple of years ago, uh, it hit me how, how that could all go into, together into this mythos that I created for our band. So the stories are tied together. So another long answer. But no, I, I wrote and re- published, self-published uh, The Lay of Lyrazel. I, I guess it actually became a book in 2015, maybe. took me a while to...
2: Uh, okay,
0: so the writing prose came a bit later uh, then. Music was sort of the main thing uh, yeah. for most of your life, it sounds like. That's cool. And I mean, it sounds like you kind of already answered one of my questions, but uh, I'll toss it at you anyways. Um, you know, how would you say you know, your experience writing music influences your prose writing and vice versa. Like, does experience writing lyrics maybe uh, influence the rhythm and meter of your prose? I mean, obviously in the poetry, I would think, uh, but in the, in the sort of straight prose, do you find yourself thinking differently about how sentences sound because of how you've had to think
1: about lyrics? Uh, yes and no, it's not conscious uh, on my part. Um, prose for me is more... Uh, I guess I'm I'm more inspired by somebody like Lord Dunsany uh, than than I am my music. Um, And in fact, I've tried to incorporate Dunsany's prose style into some of our lyrics. Um, So I think that, you know, my writing is probably more influenced by other people's writing than music. But my music okay. is influenced by those people's writing. If that makes sense, it's it's not something I think out. It's just uh, like with, like with music, though. Whatever bands I grew up, I liked. I don't hide it in our music. If if I want to make a nod towards someone um, musically, like Black Sabbath, you'll hear stuff that's going to remind you of that, and Rush, and Yes, and all these other bands I like. Um, I'm not going to hide it in my writing of, of novels either. It's. Uh, I I thought the idea of combining something like some some of the heavy adjectives of Lovecraft with some of the prose of of uh Dunsany and uh the, you know, swords flashing and you know. So I, I do catch it and I've had people tell me, Oh, we can tell you're a songwriter when we read your your uh your stuff and I don't know how that works, but I guess it's in there, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's curious, isn't it? You can't really seem to, I mean, we all have our influences and I don't think anyone should ever try to really hide them. I mean, it's foolish because they'll be in there anyway, right? They've, they've imprinted on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to people saying, oh, I can tell you're a songwriter um, and, and you're wondering, oh, really? Uh, I sympathize because uh, I'm originally trained more as a screenwriter and in my prose, people will say, Oh, I can tell you're a screenwriter. You know, it's kind of clip, very image, you know, driven. And then people read my screenplays and they're like, Oh, I can tell you're a prose writer. I'm like, which, how?
1: (laughs) Well, they can see it more than we can. Yeah.
0: I suppose that's true, but oh man, (laughs) Uh, I, I gotta say one of the reasons I was really excited to have you on Steve is because, you know, I've been studying the genre pretty intently the last five years or so, and you know, getting to talk to interesting people like yourself, only further enriching my knowledge, but man, I don't know if you've noticed, you know, a listener, uh, Steve and I both met through the Whetstone Tavern Discord I mentioned here so frequently, and there's one channel on that Discord I just never, ever poke my head into is the music one, because uh, my taste just lay elsewhere, but also, you know, for the, to the genres that tend to dominate. Uh, but also, if there's one aspect of sword and sorcery, which I'm just woefully ignorant of, it is the role of music in its fandom, and why certain genres, you know, metal, prog rock, are particularly popular. Would you mind... Uh, just you know, from your lived experience, uh, educating uh, me and those listening uh, on the subject and how Glasshammer fits into that.
1: You know, I think Sword and Sorcery, it's, it's a hard... It's, I mean, we all know exactly what it is, but it's, it's hard to condense into a few words, but it's dramatic. Uh, and the style of music that certain people are drawn to write... Uh, they're kind of given to that. I mean, it's got a drama to it. I think so. It's easy. I would say that scholars of progressive rock might tell you that it was born out of uh, you know late '60s drugs and psychedelia. You know, I, I'm not qualified to speak on that because I was a child when that <laughs> uh, the, the prog rock genre sort of came to be. But I believe a lot of people in the '60s were just heavy into Tolkien. And uh, I'm old enough to remember, you know, the airbrushed bands, uh, you know, of wizards shooting bolts you know, out of, you know. Uh, so there's just a lot of that in that era as that music developed and all those rock stars of the late sixties and seventies in uh, progressive rock, especially, I'd say were into uh, Lord of the Rings, and, uh, Moorcock, you know, uh, there was the band Hawkwind that, uh, they're probably right. I know a little bit about in. that, but do you mind yeah.
0: expanding upon uh Moorcock and his uh, you know, the, the influence in music and his role because like he wrote lyrics for some bands? Or yeah, something? He, I, again, I, this he, is my blank
1: spot. He definitely did for a um, uh, for the band Hawkwind. I don't know who else he was involved with, uh, but so that was my first indication, I guess, in that I probably didn't discover them until the 80s, that, that there was a writer of fantasy who I read. That was associated with a, a pretty cool, trippy kind of metal. Spa- they're called it's called space rock, is what they do. And I think he came out on stage with them and read some poetry, and and then he did write some lyrics. And so I even tried to incorporate that with. Uh, we have a writer. He just passed away a couple of years. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Then Robert Lowe, uh, okay. who wrote the Oathsworn trilogy. He was great with Viking uh, fiction, It's sort of sword and sorcery. And anyway, he ended up being a fan of Glass Hammer, and so he wrote some poetry, and we put it to music, and you know tried to keep that kind of uh, uh, interesting marriage of literature and music going uh, hand in hand. But you know, I don't, I don't know that much about how it happened. I, I just, I just know that musicians at that time were really into fantasy, and the album covers, you know, really showed that off too. Um, the uh, it was a famous, iconic artist named Roger Dean who did all the Yes covers, and got to do. We got to work with him on a Glass Hammer album cover, super guy. But he sort of had these fantastic landscapes, and just you know, really trippy kind of stuff. Not psychedelic, I guess, as the '70s drew on, it became more fantasy album cover art. So something mm-hmm. was going on there.
0: Well, certainly everybody was looking at Frazetta and going, that's interesting. I, I, can't, I can't help but imagine he influenced some of this album art.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't, he didn't do the, the Molly Hatchet covers. That was, uh, I can't remember who did that. Uh, but it, it, was, it had a Frazetta look to it. Um, yeah. And I was one of those kids that had that Frazetta book. I had Roger Dean's book and I had Frazetta's and just used to just stare at that stuff. You know, Before I read Conan, I'm sure uh, I was into mm-hmm. Frazetta.
0: Cool. And so where do you feel The Glass Hammer fits into this kind of tradition?
1: Well, we have, they they credited us in the early 90s, some French magazine, uh, with the rebirth of the concept album. And that was, we were probably one of the first after several years to kind of revive that. And, And again, it just all comes back to a desire to tell stories. And the best way to do that at that time in my life was through music. So, we've become well known in our circles for concept albums.
0: You know, I feel like I was going to ask this further in the interview, but I think now's a good time. We were kind of adjacent to the uh, art side of things. You know, um, I really dig the cover art on, you know, Scalagram, the book. Thank you. Uh, and I deeply appreciated that there is some interior illustration as well, including a classic fantasy map right near the start. Okay. How um, similar would you say are the things you want? From the cover of your novel as opposed to the cover of your albums i mean is it more or less the same or do you feel there's something else you want to go for
1: uh yeah there's something else i want to go for when i discovered that particular artist and um for the book you know and you never know when you're looking at an image online you know uh what it's going to look like in print you know because it's all backlit it's beautiful you know and then suddenly it's like wait a minute that's i'm looking at it right now it's like a little too dark I don't know that it tra- – and I'm into, uh, you know, marketing music and marketing book- this book too. So I have to think, well, what's going to stand out? Because you get about, you know, a tiny little square space or rectangle to to sell that idea. People judge books by their covers. It's just
0: Yeah, the thumbnail really has influenced cover art, hasn't it? Christ.
1: And I'm not sure mine works so well as a thumbnail as it does when you actually see the thing uh, – and, and again, when it's especially when it's back on the screen, it's just got this weirdness to it. It's got that uh, sort of new cliche thing where you've got a swordsman facing the opposite direction because they don't want you to see his face. That's a big thing. Uh, and I just don't like those, uh, you know, all those, they look like pre-generated covers where it's yeah. always some girl with a bow or somebody, with, but they're not looking at you. You know, they're, they're looking off at whatever's, gonna kill him um but with this it's just a strange enough sort of smeary sort of art that i think it gives you a lot more room to try to fill in the gaps for yourself um, and that to me was important for this i i hope that i'll be able to stick with this artist for the rest of these books
0: right i'm looking on the inside here uh, they go by the name uh, waking of sky tree
1: i never got the name out of the guy <laughs> I never got his name. I'm like, I got to give you a credit. And that's, that's his credit. It's strange. Okay, I do of Sky I trees. So If people
0: want to check him out, they can Google that. Okay.
1: Yeah. He's a good, he's got a lot of good stuff online. Uh, and it's all very similar. And he was very kind about, uh, uh, you know, very quickly, like, uh, working with the sword on the cover. Uh, it was a little short. It was a little off. And I'm like, could you adjust this? Could you make it longer, more intimidating? And, well, no, an hour later he sends the cover, you know. So he's fast, and I like
0: that. Well, that's a value for sure. Yeah, in collaboration. Now
1: yeah. we've got an artist that I've worked with for ten years or more now, uh, with Glass Hammer, uh, named Michael zay Larrank. And he's an excellent uh, illustrator. he's not an illustrator; he's just, just a, a great design artist. Uh, but and he's done my Scaligram albums a little more literal. Uh, then I would have wanted the book. So uh, he's he's still helping me out with it. But yeah, I just this artist. Cool. Yeah. If you um, will stick with me, I'll stick with it. You know, I, I, if it's a trilogy or a quartet of books, it needs to look alike. So, you know,
0: we'll see. <laughs> okay, yeah. And I see, I, I do dig what you're saying about your cover because, yeah, true, you do have kind of an over-the-shoulder person looking, you know, holding a sword or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I agree. Having that sort of... Um, you need room to engage the imagination of the viewer, right? I mean, I think about what you were saying a moment ago about those books of art you stared at as a you know young man, and I mean, what are you doing, right? It's not that it takes you that long to register what's on the page; it's that you're imagining, you're thinking, "Oh man, what's the story behind this image? Where does it come from? Where is it going?" And I think the sort of sort of bit of smeariness, bit of darkness, sort of a you know hazy view of the city ahead, as opposed to a perfectly crisp, you know, computer-colored, photorealistic thing. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, that, that's part of what. Grab me, frankly. I good, was kind of like, that. Oh, yeah, I, glad you I like it. what's going on
1: here." I haven't heard a lot of comments about it yet, uh, but uh, I'm glad you like it. My son uh, is 20, and he's very uh, critical. Of, you know, at this age, of what I do or don't do, and very, very helpful actually, because I'm trying to trying to be relevant. You know,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and uh, he was like, "Oh, I like that. That doesn't look like anything else. Good, because I hope it doesn't read like anything else either." So. I mean, I'm sure it does. But.
0: Well, there you go, yeah. And then you've got, as I say, the fantasy map on the inside, right. which I uh, rather enjoyed, yeah. uh, classic uh, touch, and then uh, a nice big black-and-white illustration on the interior, which most novels aren't doing anymore.
1: I liked uh, the – I just had reread uh, the Elric books, my favorite version of them, I guess, and it seems like I got one through Amazon. I lost my old copies, and it had oh. illustrations in it and that was sort of the inspiration. I'm like, hey, let's stick one of those in there. Now, this the guy that did that illustration, he did illustrations for our albums. Oh, cool, okay. Uh, for the, the Scaligram albums, which I think is pretty neat. Uh, that was part of the idea originally, was let's make this look like some old sword and sorcery project, and I commissioned an, an ink artist to do sketches, you know, sword fight, the sword fighters, and uh, just another phenomenal guy. I can't pronounce his last name, but it's Luke Idenshink, I think is his name. Just a phenomenal ink artist. And works really fast and really excited. He's got a cool Instagram account, and I think that's where i discovered. discover So he's done, I don't know, I think something, maybe 16 or 17 illustrations for the albums so far. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's really cool, man, because, like, you know, I think if there's one thing I definitely missed from when I was a kid, sort of in the, uh, you know, 80s through 90s, um, it's, it's finding those interior illustrations because like, yeah, I've got a functional imagination, but it's fun to see an interpretation and kind of compare, you know, oh, okay, there's how I imagine the character, here's how they've done rendered them, you know, how do I think about that? And then you start to identify a certain artist style with a series and, you know, yeah, yeah I, I just... I, I imagine it's mostly cost cutting that has reduced that as a trend in uh, most books these days. I don't think it's cause people got fed up with cool art. <laughs>
1: right. Right. Yeah. Well, and you'll notice too, that in, I did the trick in the back where uh, in that back illustration where my character's facing the opposite direction,
2: uh,
1: <laughs> but he uh, Luke drew several uh, illustrations. Of, I mean, where it's is face on. Uh, and it was so early when he developed how he looked uh, that I didn't ever think that it looked like I wanted him to look. And so I don't want mm-hmm. to put that in picture in, in any readers' minds. Um, right. Until I can get that developed. You know, you sort mm-hmm. of picture your character a certain way. Um, but I don't want everybody you didn't have to have like to a celebrity do that.
0: in mind or something. <laughs> oh,
1: well, sure. In my case, it was, uh, it was something like, you know, Jon Snow. With a with a oh, okay. with a bad scar on his face, I think that's kind of how I pictured it. But I don't want anybody else to be constrained to that.
0: I did speaking of that scar. I really uh, felt the book grab me right from the start because uh, uh, you're not being nice to your character there. No, <laughs> in chapters uh, one through you know so, uh, there, but especially right at the damn start, I was like, oh, he's getting messed up. Uh, is he the main? Yeah, no, it's the main character It's his name.
2: Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, and I wanted the scar to kind of represent and, and get it out right in the open that he is a scarred man. I mean, he's a flawed. He's a flawed man. He's not. Uh, I like to refer back to Eric Brighteyes. I like that character a lot from the Haggard book. Uh, he's not particularly noble. He, you know, he might work out that he is, but. Uh, he's just a flawed guy and I want him to carry some kind of scar through his life that he can't, huh. he can't shake like we all do.
0: Sorry for those who aren't familiar. Do you mind just briefly saying who Eric Brighteyes is? What's he from?
1: Eric Brighteyes. Uh, it's, what is it? H R R Haggard. Is that the, the writer's? Name? Okay. I think it's three R, or two R's and H R R Haggard, uh, who wrote the, uh, Alan Quartermain books, uh, uh, was it Solomon's Mines? I think that was the name. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, I was—I don't know, 15 years or so ago, I was getting into William Morris. I'm trying to look back uh, at what Tolkien and Lewis's influences were, so to speak, and Haggard's name came up. And I'm like, oh, I used to watch those movies when I was a kid, you know, these African safari kind of things that he did. And Eric Bright Eyes came up as a kind of a Nordic, story and it's just written beautifully so i'd highly recommend it in fact the the name skalagram popped right out of that book he's uh have you read it have you read eric bright eyes
0: myself no not yet
1: yeah oh it's phenomenal i I think brian murphy refers to it in his uh book on sword and sorcery but it's just a phenomenal story uh written beautifully and the character skalagram in that book is a berserker Uh uh-huh He's an alcoholic berserker. And I think years ago, I even thought, hey, it'd be neat to take that guy's story and write it out and see what happens with it. Anyway, you know, And it ditched that idea and just took the name. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's. I think everybody into to our genre should definitely pick that up and read it.
0: Very cool. Yeah, no, I, I, I love going back and you know to your own influences and then going yeah who influenced them and just yeah, following right. the chain because you never know what you're going to learn what you're going to pick up yeah. you know i uh kind of course be one of the many people who can thank uh, howard andrew jones for drawing attention to the author howard lamb yeah oh, who I was a that. major yeah. influence yeah. on robert e howard conan so many howards yeah. uh, <laughs> the chain of howards is a is a fine chain to f- yeah. uh, follow if you want to learn a bit about pacing for example yeah. um yeah yeah uh, so, yeah, actually, uh, this is the book, huh? So, uh, so, <laughs> so Scallagrim in the Vale of Picarna. How would you describe it to someone who knows nothing about the book or its story? What's the kind of the wee pitch?
1: Well, they do this with albums. When they try to review, they're always going it's, to, it's hard to not compare it to someone else. Uh, and in my case, it's best described, I think, if I at least say what writers influenced it. Uh, I wanted it to have to build towards a story that could fall under the umbrella of cosmic horror. I don't think the first book is the the story as it grows will become that. Um, my own twist on cosmic horror. I'm not as hopeless as, <laughs> as most of those writers are, um, but uh, so there's a lot of Lovecraft in it. I, I overuse adjectives. And a couple of critics have definitely picked up on that. It was described as Baroque, but I saw I'm like, I had to look that up. I'm like, now I know what Baroque means, but let's, oh, heavily ornamented. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. So, uh, and I'm, you know, it was my first book. I think I've made a few mistakes in it, but uh, as far as my choices, how things went, you know, boy, I'm making a long answer out of this, so. Uh, It's all right. Hey, I
0: uh, thought it was really well crafted. Period. Never mind for a first novel.
1: Thank you. um, Uh, But certainly for a first novel. But yeah, I'd say anyone that's that likes sword and sorcery, that uh, would also enjoy a little bit of Lovecraftian uh, horror mixed in some uh, some of the hopelessness of of the writings like of Clark Ashton Smith. um, They would like it. He's he's a flawed character. He's not a muscle guy. He's not Conan. Um, he's not, certainly not Elric, he's not a sorcerer, and he's not an elf uh, of some sort. Uh, he's just a, a young guy that's really lonely, that's found himself in a terrible situation, uh, and it's very unfair. His memory has been stolen. Um, he he sees a girl, so this is, somebody referred to this as a Chase the Princess story, and I mm. guess in a way it is, Um but he sees a girl, he knows he loves her, but he can't remember really anything about him, why. And she's being kidnapped in front of his eyes while people are trying to kill him. So the the novel starts off with a bang. And it's all bad and nothing's good. And the further this poor guy goes uh, along his trip to try to find her and find out what's happened to himself, the worse things get. And that, I think, is something anybody at least of a certain age can relate to. So I, I wanted him to be a very relatable character. He's full of self-doubt it gnaws at him continually uh, He gets through one situation and and here comes another uh, and he has no idea what's coming at him next and no idea what's happened and no idea if he's if he's not just made all of it up in his head. So he's a very um, torn and conflicted character out of his element but he does get help uh, from on high. And that was important to me was the, the strength or the hope that uh, uh, he would need to get through this it didn't come from inside him at all. It, ca- it came because he, he cried out to help for help uh, and didn't even know who he was talking to. Uh, and suddenly here comes the magic sword. So all of these things, even though they're sword and sorcery, they represent to me... There's a, there's a subtext, in other words. Um, the sword, to me, represents hope. Um, huh. Skalagrim is just any of us uh, that's, that's trying to get through life. Um, the girl, in this case, that he's hunting, she represents um, joy that has been lost. And if you've experienced that before uh, in any sort of a tragedy, it's devastating and uh, you sort of lose your way. And uh, so I I wanted to make a character that could go through some of these things and let's see how he works through it and comes out the other end. The subtext to me, though, I don't want to overwhelm the story, um, and it's not allegory, uh, but I do think it's important. In my case, I didn't want to write Pulp Fiction, in other words. I wanted there to be something something bigger uh, behind the... The basic story and people can pick up on that or not however they enjoy reading so they can look for it it's there
0: yeah well, i mean you know people there's one thing uh, that i've been reminded of quite a bit recently is that you have no control over what people will take from your art you can only put stuff there yeah and they'll pick up what they pick yeah. up but if it's not there they can't pick it up right, right, so, right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it's the way we did things with our albums you know i have a worldview that i present through our albums but it's it's not there to i'm not trying to beat anybody in the head with it it's just there if you pick up on it great it'll add to your enjoyment of it and if not i hope that it stands alone without all that Hmm. my mission i think even in music is 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 to create something people will enjoy not to get a point across that's for me
0: it's still there <laughs> or even enjoy while well hearing that point. Yeah. You know? I, I think there's nothing wrong. I feel like I've been saying this a lot on the podcast lately, so I'm not going to repeat myself or go on at length, but I, I feel like there's always, your story is always going to say something. You may as well be intentional about it yep. because then you control more so what it says. Yeah. You know, the attempt to avoid, you know, people who get embarrassed when they say, oh, I don't have themes, I don't have messages in my story. Like, well, yeah, I mean, you do in a way, because they're always influenced by who you are as a person, your collection of, you know, experiences, beliefs, you know, and all the choices you make in the tale. So you may as well be intentional.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that, too, that probably, in my case, it came for me ahead of the plot. You know, I found myself developing the plot as I went. I, I would never do that again. <laughs> you have to, you have to. Uh, and I was just learning also, you know, what, what is writing a novel? What's the so it sounds
0: like you weren't a big outliner then. It was more of a no, pantsing, as I to call
1: it. It was pantsing, yeah. A lot of the characters just showed up on the page. Uh, one or two of them came from previous album, mm-hmm. concept albums I did. Hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of the, a lot of what's happened, the big stuff that happened, happened only because I started writing it. You know, it, originally it was just a guy looking for a girl fighting sorcerers, you know, and it became, <laughs> as Tolkien said, it grew in the town, you know, it just became, and I like to let it go, that way. to me that's part of the fun, is discovering these things, like, you know, you don't come up with them, you don't know where they come from, they're just, there in front of you, and it just takes on a whole life of its own, it's fantastic, it's fun, if nothing else, to let that happen.
0: Well, I admire uh, you and people like you who can do that, I... Oh man. Well, I guess if you've heard any of my outlining episodes on the podcast, like, I gotta figure it all out. I got to figure out so much. I do leave room. I mean, you have to, otherwise, you're literally just writing the story. But yeah, I, I, uh, I get wary of not having a blueprint. And then I watch other people just, it's like watching, it's like I'm sitting on the beach building the most archaic, you know, Sands yeah. castle. And then we have a protractor ruler and some of the guys just surfing <laughs> on the water. I'm like, I want to, how do, do, how do you do that? <laughs>
1: there's, a, there's a famous scene uh, from uh, it's the old, old, old movie Waterloo. And I think this is a real incident where Wellington is sitting on the battlefield before the battle, reading in the paper, leaned up against a tree. And his, uh, one of his, uh, you know, generals that served under him have come up and they're like, and he's not told him anything. They're like, well, what's the plan? You know, and he just looks up from his paper and says, well, to win. (laughs) I know that he had more of a plan than that, but my idea is you have a basic plan uh, but then anything can happen like in a battle and you've got to be ready to move when it does you know and alter your plan it's the same thing you you can write an outline and I've done that like on this second book I'm working on and I know when I write it it's going to get thrown out I think there's 10 of them I'm using it more or less to try to keep myself in line uh, so that a hundred thousand word novel doesn't become Two hundred and fifty thousand words. So I'm trying to map out what needs to happen and what needs to happen mm-hmm. where. But if something interesting happens along the way, I'm going to dive. You know, we'll start enough. a different
0: book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a that's a great flexibility to have. Um, something I was wondering actually while I was reading, I thought, you know, I love to make playlists for projects. I find that they, you know, if I if I switch between one story and another one. Uh, if I can switch it to a playlist, I identify with that story. It gets my head in the game quicker. Uh, but then I thought, well, hang on. It's a little different with this book, right? Like, what music did you listen to while writing it? And was it Glass Hammer? Or would it be hearing your own stuff be too distracting?
1: Like, yeah, that, you know. Yeah, it would be. Um, and I've separated the two. I mean, I really have. Once I started writing the book, I'm like, this character's not the same as that one on the album. Uh, you know, if you read if you read that, I think I sent you the PDFs and all that. If, if you read the story in the albums, you know, he's a very, it comes across a little more like Conan. I did this, I did that, you know. Um, mm. And this character in the book is just a, like I said, he's just a beat up, miserable guy. And uh, having the worst time of his life. And uh, so it's very different. And I just, so I didn't listen to the music except we were writing it while I was, <laughs> while I was writing it, uh, so, but I, you know what I would do is I would put these headphones on while I typed sometimes, and just put on this these atmospheres like a ambiance, like a dungeon, you know, hear dripping water, and just creepy things and wind blowing, and I just kind of let myself go with that, uh, just to kind of close myself off from everything. So not music, for sure. It was right. more more about. You know, soundscapes.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense, because i come I, I comfortable listening to music with lyrics when I'm writing, but again, it's not you know my music, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, want, I just kind of made me think, you know, it's like, uh, I was like, I can't listen to a podcast while I write a story, because that's almost like trying to do math while someone yeah. shouts oh, random yeah. numbers in your ear, yeah. and I guess, yeah, maybe to a degree for some people, that's the same feeling with music with lyrics, and you just want some nice clean atmospheric stuff, as you say to help get you in the zone
2: yeah
1: and sometimes it's just sitting in, and particularly sitting in this room i'm in right now and just kind of get off to myself and not listen to anything and um and just write and there's a million distractions you know but that's that comes with the territory <laughs>
0: um so i think you yeah you mentioned um pardon me i think i know you mentioned the original inspiration uh, sort of for skalagrim how long was the road from your first notion of hey i'm gonna do this to holding a finished copy of the book in your hand.
1: I guess so what the lock the lockdown was 2019 2020 it, it's lost to uh, you know, well I mean in Canada certainly uh,
0: we didn't really even know what was going on until mid March 2020. Yes
1: yeah, so it was 2020 and I think in June or May April some <laughs> I guess they shut all our businesses down here. And so it was started then And then just came out last March, uh, this past March. So from 2020 to 2022. Uh, But a lot of that, I guess it was written and completed in about seven months. And then the rest of the time was just trying to figure out, you know, how to put that book out. Uh, I didn't waste too much time looking for a publisher. I've never been one to sit around and wait. And um, Mm -hmm. so I had to figure out how to, Print it is the 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 whole Amazon KDP thing was uh, for indie publishers was a little more involved than I remembered it to be in 2015. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's just a lot of a lot of time researching what I was about to do. After I wrote it, and then editing and editing and editing and editing. And yeah, editing I was gonna say, editing. how was the editing?
0: Did you have beta reader buddies? I, uh, did you work with a professional editor? I
1: only went with one beta reader, and he was a Glass Hammer fan, so I, I knew that it was going to be tricky because he was probably going to like everything, and uh, but he had reams of, of stuff he sent me. It had it had meant so much to him, and I'm, oh my gosh, you know, this might be good. This might not be bad, and so that helped. Uh-huh. Uh, and I sent it to him in stages before I was done and then sent him the whole thing. And he was ecstatic. It made him cry. And If I can make somebody cry, then that's a win, I guess. Uh, mm. But then I went with an editor, uh, and then I had to edit the editor. And, uh, <laughs> and then I saw some neat reviews where there's no typos in this. There's no typos. It's unbelievable. Most books have typos. There's no typos. And then somebody wrote me, uh it was about a month ago like, here's a list of the typos i found like thanks thanks i'd rather just not have known at this point so i got five or six of those it's just endless i guess i read it 18 times uh, after i was done and marked it up in my kindle and then we'd mm-hmm. go sit down and try to rework it without screwing up the format you know just,
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: it was grueling but i thought if i don't hate this after reading it so many times then then okay it must be okay.
0: Well, yeah, isn't that the test? You know, you're talking about the typos and still finding the bloody things, you know, well after, uh, you think it's finished. I, uh, have been, you know, doing kind of an audiobook thing bonus for my Patreon where I read through my first couple of novels and talk about each chapter as I go along. Mm-hmm. The second book in particular, like I had a professional editor to go through that. I went through that many times and I have been finding typos as I read it <laughs> into the record. And it's, just, oh my God, on the one hand, great. I can fix them because it's self pub. Uh, you know, it's easy to yeah, go in there and do that. It, yeah. But, uh, but oh my god, I would have thought by now, you know. But then, as you say, there's the other experience that's very pleasing when you read your book for the upteenth time of like there is the parts in the book that I really want to. I mean, you want the whole thing to impact people, but there's the moments you really want to hit the reader. And if you read those moments and you feel kind of that yeah feeling that you had when you were first writing it, still yeah, it's that a, can't be bad, can a, it? A
1: sense of wonder is what I would describe that as. If you you can bring your character to a place and and You read it and you feel what you wanted to make other people feel, and you can kind of be sort of objective and and stand back as if you're reading a story you didn't write, it works on you. Uh, And I think that's that's what we all gotta do, whatever it is, music, art, anything, you just write for yourself. And if you make yourself happy, then there's probably a few thousand people and at least in a planet with several billion people (laughs) that are going to be okay with that and like what you did you just have to find them you know exactly and i don't think we we're reinventing the wheel here with scallagrim it's you know that type of book has been done plenty uh it's just maybe there's something i have to offer that kind of a story that somebody else wouldn't have thought of you know
0: well, yeah, I mean, it's your execution, and it's uh, got your uh, sort of music in there. I mean, there's literally songs in the yeah. st- in, in the book, yeah. you know, which, I mean, has been done in human history, but I have not seen a lot of. Well, that was, uh, a, definite, stuff.
1: Uh, that was a Tolkien thing for me. It was that so many poems, yeah. and when I first read it, I just loved the, the songs. And early on, I had the songbook, you know, that went with Tolkien's stuff. And so I determined if I ever did this, it was going to have uh, either Glass Hammer lyrics in it or brand mm. new lyrics. And, It was just something i enjoyed as a as a reader growing up it just added something uh, to it you know the the instructions usually are if it doesn't develop the plot advance the plot then leave it out who cares you know (laughs) sing sing a song people sing you know so sing a song and this (laughs) this character skeleton literally uh one of the most horrible moments i guess or he's about to go through one of the worst Just breaks into a song uh on top of a hilltop and i'm like you know is this sound of music or or what's going on <laughs> Picture him lifting his voice on high you know
0: but what a neat setting for that kind of singing you know to even if it is a bit like sound of music like whatever first of all insanely popular story yeah. but also <laughs> i mean part of the fun is is, is i think i'm creating is is well, it's, it's almost like remixing. Like I I don't think anybody reading this book would. I mean, well, like maybe after they listen to this interview. But you know, if they just came in cold, would be expecting uh, the music to come in, and that makes you kind of go, "What?" And you know, snap back and yeah. then refocus, right. and then go, "Okay, I got to read this bit a little differently." Yeah. You know, it it really draws your attention to what you're reading. It I think uh, if nothing else has value for that. Well, yeah, also being very, and also you know, very
1: yeah. Since our lyrics were often stories too, I put one in. Uh, that's the, there's the character Swan Hild, and she she kind of <laughs> sings a song at some point in the book that I had written, and there's characters mentioned in the song, and that's given me sort of a, a way to do some different characters in the new book and introduce those characters, so they're introduced through lyrics, and then they sort of jump out of those lyrics and come alive. So it's you yeah. know it serves many purposes, but mainly it's just I like to see italicized, yeah, <laughs> verses smack in the middle of a chapter every now and then.
0: And then with that white space as well so again it describes you right um so uh, as we're getting near the end here i I wonder um was *Skallagrim* always going to be a series or did that sort of was that something you discovered uh, as you were working on it
1: no i think i knew it would take more books to tell the story and i do know how it ends um so no it was always going to be at the very least a trilogy if not a quartet Mm -hmm. and i've also got a uh, the possibility of doing short stories later with the character so i'm leaving some big time gaps that can yeah. be filled in later because to me i think that'd be fun too is once people know the character let's go back and just do some some more short stories and tr- like traditional sword and sorcery stories um yeah, well, I mean that's
0: certainly a tradition, right? I mean, Warcock's doing right. it right now. He's, he's got air, so. uh, you know a book just coming out with uh, sort of Elric from yeah. since sort of kind of the first quarter of Elric's original adventures. He's found a gap and wedged a whole new novel in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find the gap. So I built the gap in ahead of time. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Is there anything you can sort of tease us with without giving it too you know, too much away as to what's coming up next for uh, Scalligram in the books to come?
1: In the books to come, he uh, he's going to war. Um, at the end, I'm not, I can't really spoil the end of book one, but I I will say that, you know, what he has many more trials ahead of him and he does evolve as a character. He's, he's definitely got an arc. Um, he may get a little ahead of himself in the next book and finally gain some confidence that doesn't particularly work out for him. Uh, Uh, and I, I guess my, my big thing is to just amp up the horror Mm. element. Uh, the further we go and leave people hanging every time but i do promise i know how it ends Uh, and it won't end like anybody thinks it's going to so it's it's going (laughs) to be fun it's going to be fun
0: awesome so all right let's 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 wrap it up here where where should people look for you online if they are interested in your novel and uh, of course musical endeavors Uh,
1: musical endeavors is glasshammer.com and uh, if you're into progressive rock you may have heard of us uh, if not please give us a try uh, all kinds of music we have heavy heavy to hard kind of metal prog and uh to really beautiful symphonic stuff uh, and then the books uh, i'm on stephen r babb that's s-t-e-p-h-e-n middle initial r babb, babb dot com and uh and of course it's on amazon and Cool. Pretty much anywhere else for, for Kindle, for ebooks, whatever. But there's print books available.
2: Okay,
0: awesome. I'll put those links in the show notes a So easy peasy to find and click on. Go through, buy that book, buy that
1: album. Do it all. Yes, please, uh, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great.
0: And there's a new album coming, right?
1: Yes, uh, it's called At The Gate. And it will wrap up the album versions of Scalagrams Life. Uh, but again, I've, I've decided we're going to keep that bit a little separate from the books it's not going to end the same way the books will so there's no spoilers built into the albums but yeah we've done three Scaligram albums we're working on it today that third album at the gate due out uh october yeah october 7th uh this year so we're about done
0: Awesome. And uh, I uh, enjoyed listening to the two albums you sent me. Thank you so much. I, I, you know, I'm, I must admit, I was listening to it. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm more into prog rock than I realized, or maybe this is just really good. Uh, <laughs> and so I, you know, I don't think I mentioned this uh, before, but I, I'm threading in some of your tunes uh, to the episode uh, today instead of our usual theme music. And I thought we might go out on uh, the Forlorn Hope. Okay. I that you enjoyed that one. track. Yep. And just out of curiosity, is there any um, story behind that song or anything fun you want to tell us about
1: it? Gosh, no, the whole album uh, was fun. We had just introduced a brand new uh, singer, um, uh, Hannah Pryor. So we were having a blast working with her. And the forlorn hope is a phrase uh, uh, actually taken from uh, some of my historical fiction uh, readings, which is a... It's that group of people that run through the breach uh, ahead of everybody else in a big uh, siege. Uh, and they're called the Forlorn Hope because they're not expected to live. So <laughs> that's that's how that works out,
0: yeah. Ah, uh, cheers. All right, well, this was really wonderful, oh, Steve. Thank, thank you so much, much. for thank coming you on. so much. Yeah, and uh, for lending us uh, your music for the show. I think it's going to be really fun. Oh, great, thank you. All right, take care. All right. So I'm Writing a Novel features original intro, transition, and outro music by... Glasshammer, and is hosted by yours truly, Oliver Brackenbury. If you'd like to submit a question, then please email it to soimwritinganovel at gmail.com. You can also holler at the show on Twitter. Look for at so That's at so writing. Please consider sharing the show with anybody who might like it, or checking out any of the other ways you can support the show by heading to soimwritinganovel.com slash support the show, which has things like links to our Patreon, coffee, and PayPal. Thanks for hanging out with me, and Steve Babb, and I'll see you next time. For now, here's a little track by Glasshammer I may have mentioned at the end of the interview.